Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. Uh, we just watched episodes two and three of The Green Death. Green Death, um, set not in winter like it is here. It's about minus 30 Celsius, yeah. which is, I don't know, minus 20-ish Fahrenheit? No, it's getting very close to minus 40 in Fahrenheit, because remember, that's where no, they converge. They meet. They meet. So mm-hmm. it's minus 29 mm-hmm. Celsius here. Mm-hmm. Probably feels colder than that outside, though. Mm-hmm. So we're close to, anyway, the, the long story short is, looks like, looks like we solved that global warming thing that we were worried about at the Cree death because it's, 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 it's cold for four days in a row. So therefore it's over. So we don't have to worry about giant maggots None. popping out of eggs. None at all. No. Although the, the cold snap does kill pine beetles. So that's true. You that, know. That's a good thing. Yes. Invasive, invasive species. Pine beetles yep. are Alberta's uh, version of giant maggots. Are they as big as giant maggots? I've never seen one. I've never seen one either, but I'm pretty sure they're smaller and thus more insidious because they get underneath the bark of the pine. And then they eat it mm-hmm. and then they kill it. Yep. That's how it works. Greedy little little guys. Anyway, uh, hey, what'd you say? We, we haven't watched an episode in a while, so what, what'd you think of these two episodes? Um, I was glad that I remembered what happened in the previous episode well enough. Ah, um, yeah, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Poor Bert. I really liked Bert a lot. Like, it was, he was so, yeah, was just so nice and kind and gentle the way he was taking care of Joe. And it's, it's interesting, you know, in Doctor Who, the companions are often written unevenly yep. depending on who's writing them and sometimes joe is brave and bold and sometimes yes, kang should be mm-hmm. and sometimes she's she's like this but uh when i was on a family vacation stop laughing at yourself it wasn't that funny <laughs> okay. I, okay i'm done go ahead i did say brave and bold on purpose i know uh-huh i couldn't let it just sit there okay. i had to all right <laughs> yes yes dear you're very very clever pat uh, pat pat on the head um but uh, when we were on, I was on a family vacation in, I think it was in South Dakota, and we went on a cave tour, and I was terrified. I'm not, like, I'm not generally claustrophobic, and many of the places in this this cave were huge, like, just cavernous, and it didn't matter. I was just, there was something about being underground that was terrifying to me. So my headcanon is that there's something about this mind that has just sort of thrown Joe into sort of that same headspace that I was. Mm-hmm. And later I found out the rest of my family was too, except for my brother who was fine. Um, my, my parents kept arguing over, oh, Erica, would you like to go out? I could take you out, my dad says. And then my mom's like, no, 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 I can do it. <laughs> and I toughed it out. <laughs> and it turned out everybody wanted to leave uh, except for my brother. My sister didn't like it much either. They're all trying to save face basically. But uh, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Yep. So that's uh, that's what I think is, hmm. yeah. So Joe is, she's also disturbed because there's a, a, a guy dying there. But you know, Joe's been through a lot already. Yep. She's seen many, many things and lots of people have have died around her. Uh, But this time she spent a decent amount of one-on-one quality time with this lovely man who took care of her and, you know, sort of did the right smart thing. I liked how he was like, no, 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 we we can't sit down and rest. We have to keep going. Like Mm -hmm. once you start, you got to keep going. He knows his stuff. He's a a minor. He's been down there a lot. Um, And he was just, he, you know, except for the fact that he touched the green stuff immediately, just like the other guy wanted to. Yeah. What is it about the inquisitive Welsh that you just want to touch <laughs> things right away? My headcanon is that there's something about the green slime that invites you to want to touch it. 
oh. that that there's something about it, you know, because remember they mentioned the smell as well. So yeah. that there's, you know, that there's something tied up in there. That, I don't know, pheromones or something. I've been playing the video game Control <laughs> and there's some mold in Control that uh-huh. like when you smell it, it smells so good and you just want to eat it and eating it's very, very bad. Do that. Mm-hmm. Does it turn you into the hiss? Uh, no, it doesn't. It turns you into a mold zombie. The hiss, uh, and then the hiss can take over the molds. It's a long thing. It's, it's a big thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's a very good game. I highly recommend it if you don't scare easily because it's very scary. Just like Joe got very scared underground. Yeah. I like, I liked Bert too. I liked how they made a very great job of, you know, they did only just sort of meet there and had their, their moment in the cave, you know, you know, the fear made companions of them both basically is how it worked, <laughs> you know? Uh, and that's why. Even though it's it's a short relationship that they have, it's a it's you know it's what that intense intense. Thank you very much. And that I like that Joe even mentioned you know, he's just a silly little Welshman who I barely even knew. And I like that they reference that because so many times in movies and TV shows, it's like, why are you being so uh, sad about this character's death when you just met him? You know, like, mm-hmm. a lot of people saying why why is Luke so mournful about Obi Wan when he barely mm-hmm. knew him in Star Wars? We don't necessarily see what happens in the whole of the movie though. Um, yeah, so I like that they sort of played into that, and then of course it, it leads for for Professor Jones to mm-hmm. say a doctorish kind of thing. You know, they're they're all known as unique as Bert. It's kind of like you know, uh, in all my nine hundred years of time travel, I've never met someone who wasn't important. That sort of you know, she he's taking over essentially as the role of the doctor. Yeah, I thought of the the nine hundred years line as well, which I'm sure was inspired by this very line yeah. here uh, in the you know doyleist interpretation of the mm. story. Um, yeah, and it's interesting too that I everybody talks about how Cliff is very very doctorish in a way, and I had kind of I hadn't seen this for a long time, and now that I'm watching it, I'm like, oh my god, yes! Like when they first meet. And the doctor says, oh, yeah, you, you're, I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. Your paper on DNA, blah, 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 the yeah. age that you live in. And then, like, they definitely have a rapport. And they're, they're who, sort who of... Who has a rapport, sorry? The doctor and I Professor could, Jones. Okay, yep, yeah, yeah. yep. They have a rapport with each other because they are both scientists, mm-hmm. you know, who are thinking about things from a sort of holistic um perspective as opposed to somebody like Stevens who is very you know results based and profit based yeah so that's you know they they really relate to each other um the doctor and and Cliff and and then later you know they just they're having dinner they're all together there's so much camaraderie you know the doctor doesn't you know totally cock block him until (laughs) until later doc blocks him so to speak yeah yes exactly so so yeah, it really makes sense that uh, a young, good-looking human yep. <laughs> man uh, who is you know got his feet on the ground a little bit, a little bit more than the doctor, you know, not entirely because he wants to go off down the Amazon mm-hmm. and uh, and chase toadstools, but uh, it it makes sense that that's somebody that Joe would be attracted to, and they do almost kiss here and it's i don't know it just feels really natural it does it's really well built up i remember this is one of my earlier doctor who memories seeing the last three or four minutes of that of episode three Mm. and having only known of tom baker yet uh, but i knew that john pertwee was there and i just i never really put two and two together that they might be uh, that pertwee might have came and how the changeover how they became a new doctor i don't know but i remember being mortified and somewhat uh curious and 
uh, appalled, I don't know, astonished mm -hmm. that there was almost a kissing scene in Doctor Who because <laughs> it never happened. Uh, it, the limited amount of Doctor Who that I had watched up to that point, I go, oh my goodness, this seems like, it just felt like this Doctor Who is very risque. I don't know what to think of it. My, I was clutching my, my pearls as a mm -hmm. 10 or 11 year old or however old I was when I saw that last four minutes of episode three. So typical. Oh, you know, violence and killing and death yep. and stuff. That's fine. That's normal. <gasps> a kiss. No. I know. Because as a kid mm -hmm. who, you know, didn't know much about that back in those <laughs> days, uh, I was just like, this is just a whole new universe mm -hmm. to me that I am perfectly able to find leaving that behind. Thank you much. I'm here for the car crashes and laser sword battles and stuff. Mm -hmm. Boys. And uh, and the acetylene torches cutting through giant uh, yeah. cables. Mm -hmm. That too. Didn't I miss that bit though? I oh, didn't. Well, of course, because it was just on. It was the, when it was on KSPS Spokane mm. daily episodes. I would have to finish my homework because it was on at seven o'clock. I'd run downstairs and I was done and watch like literally the last three or four minutes Aww. of an episode. So I remember that. I remember the cliffhanger to the Deadly Assassin Part One. I remember. I think one of them probably from Power of Kroll. Like you know, like it's the last three or four minutes of an episode, not knowing what that episode was because I never saw the beginning. That was the formative. Mm -hmm. time in my very earliest Doctor Who fandom days, like early, early days before I even knew, you know, we didn't have a VHS recorder or anything like that. So, so watching that a little bit again, so maybe think, oh, wow, that was a long, long time ago, but that's where, that's where it started. Wow. What yeah. a, what an awful way to have to watch doc anything, to have to watch anything is to see the last four minutes. You kids mm -hmm. don't know how easy you have it, mm -hmm. but it's what made me and it's what made me uh, more and more curious about about the show, and just always wanted me to keep tune, tuning in because I want to see, want to watch as much as I possibly could. Fascinating, yeah, fascinating, isn't it? Though, <laughs> yep, and that, and then you ended up marrying that weird little boy. So <laughs> here we are. What else? Uh, what about about these two episodes of uh, of the Green Death? You want to talk about uh, maggots, um, CSO Stevens? Um, it is it is fun seeing Stevens. Although I'm just I just keep thinking of him as Matthew Peel uh, from the Sandbaggers, mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's giving a good performance, and it's nice to see. I don't. I would have to really think about it over the the course of Doctor Who. Like, there's a lot of people who are possessed or mind controlled or whatever, but I don't know. In my head, I feel like a lot of the time it happens to women, and it's kind of nice seeing it happen to dudes for a change. Does it happen to women? I'm just trying to think now. Not that I want to like, uh, dis I don't want to say, oh, well, there's a one time about that. No. I guess, I, I guess maybe it's more companions. Like poor Sarah Jane is, oh, is yeah, taking yeah. over all the time. Right. And, you know, uh, Jodo, Polly, I can't remember. Even Joe is uh, hypnotized in Terror of the Autons. Yep. Yeah. Right. So I suppose when it comes to randos, maybe it is. <laughs> it could be a little bit of everybody. Well, because here's the thing. Not to say, that, oh, it's good to see a dude getting hypnotized. Well, uh, name all the other yeah. female characters in this story and every other Doctor Who story from the 1970s. That's true. The, the, the pickings are slim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yes, the uh, I I think the performance is good from Fell, who at the end, he fell. He did. Um, easy enough to remember that name. I, I think the fact that he is actually fighting against it and then found, you know, insuff insufficient or whatever it mm -hmm. is, is... Uh, you know, good for him. Sad. That's another. It's another sort of a sad death. Like he 
was determined to do the right thing in the first place. And that's what got him mind controlled. And then yeah. he was such a strong willed good person that he couldn't stay mind controlled. And then unfortunately they did away with him. Yeah. I, I like the way that he sort of, you know, you've done something to my mind. He just sort of like very like solemnly like sad. And that's the moment they realized that, okay, this one's done. Mm-hmm. Got to get rid of him. Process. And I like how actually it affects Stevens too. Yeah, you know, like he's sort of like, you know, surely unnecessary, surely, you know, and, and he really fits Stevens, who are sentimentalist and that zooms into his reaction. I thought that was kind of a nice human touch. A little bit, but I don't feel the least bit sorry for no, him. But I, I, you know, it's 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 nice to show that he's not just a ruthless automaton like uh, the c- computer screen that's uh, telling him what to do from what we see. Yeah. Yeah, he's not he's not quite the mustache twirling villain that he could be otherwise. No, no. Which oddly enough, it made me uh, think twice. I thought, wait a second, you know, because there was a big run around with the doctor getting um, uh, imprisoned in episode two, uh-huh. and I thought this is exactly what happens in Malcolm Hulk scripts. Did Malcolm Hulk write this? I had to think twice for like two or three seconds. I know it was Barry Letts and, and Robert Sloman. Mm-hmm. Um, but Malcolm Hulk actually wrote the novelization for this, I believe. So it just felt like very, cause that's what Malcolm Hulk does. Frontier in space. You run around, get, you get caught just to just get, you know, it, it just creates action in a loop. And that's kind of what happened in episode two though. So it reminded me of a Hulk script. It's funny because when we just sat down and started watching the beginning of episode two and it's, you know, Robert Sloman's name pops up. I was like, Oh, right. I always think that this is a Malcolm Hulk story. Right. Always. Uh, but yeah. There's, so it's, there's a lot to it that just sort of has that feel, which is one of the things that I like about it, because I usually like his stories. Yeah, because Malcolm woke, well, well Malcolm, Malcolm woke, stepping on my, <laughs> my own woke joke. Joke woke, yeah, because, you know, it's all about the environment and everything like this, and, you know, yeah. Which of course is irrelevant. It's it's it was fascinating hearing Professor Jones talk about the uh, the fungus that mm-hmm. they had. I think, yeah, that's kind of pretty much what we eat today when it comes to fake meat and stuff. You know, mostly pea protein. But uh, that's true. But you know, you're you're making Beyond Meat burgers for supper, so I feel like Professor if Jones would, thought enough. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, he Professor Jones would be very comfortable just hanging out and uh, yeah. having having supper with you. I mean, I wish that we were to the point where a fake steak <laughs> was good enough to fool somebody. I feel like either the, either that's, you know, yeah. entirely fictional or the brigadier has no palate whatsoever. Maybe all this, maybe all the cigarettes he's smoking. There has never been more cavalier smoking in Dr. Who <laughs> than episode three of the green death. They cut from Stevens and Hinks uh-huh. both smoking up. He's lighting his, sm- his cigarette and cigar and stuff. We cut to the dinner party. Brigadier's puffing her off. It's just like so much smoking. Yep. But, you know, that's that's legit. Yep. It's funny, too, because earlier you might have thought that the smoking of what's the henchman for Stevens henchman? Hinks. Hinks. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So he is just standing there smoking in, in one early scene when nobody else is smoking. And you could read that as, oh, he's clearly the bad guy because yeah. he's smoking. But no, when you see the entire story, it's not that he's smoking it's the way that he is smoking the way <laughs> that he holds his cigarette yep. and his posture it's like that that is very it's a very good performance as the posture of a henchman of the heavy and the fact that he's smoking when nobody else is and just it, it's i just thought it was very funny and then to later see everybody smoking like yep it's not that he's smoking it's how he's smoking yeah i i, I took note uh, and then i forgot to note the name of the actor who plays hinks ben somebody i like him i just said like you know just a very natural 
performance. I like that. Like, it reminds me of William Dysart from The Ambassadors of Death uh, or William Marlowe in The Mind of Evil. As I think, All the Williams. All the Williams. He's not, he's not Williams. Just the way that he just sort of has a natural, almost Sweeney-ish <laughs> approach to, to Henchman and Doctor Who. Uh, just, it just feels like natural at the nut. The, just the way he just conversed, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was important. I'm telling you that, you know, just I like him. I like that, that performance from him. I'm picturing a, a job interview, and how are you at henching? <laughs> <laughs> please, please elucidate me on your yeah. henchman skills. Yeah, and he smokes a good cigarette. Yeah. Just the way he like he smokes it as if to to put it out, mm-hmm. so that you know mm-hmm. with uh, threat. Yeah. You know, is there is there a threatening way to put out a cigarette? Mm-hmm. That's the way the Hicks does it. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have enjoyed hanging out at the dinner party. Yep. At the Nut Hutch. Uh-huh. Without the music. Without the flute music on uh, all the hippies lying around and stuff like that? That was... They could have done better. I just... I feel like that was... (laughs) I think it felt to me, and I could be wrong, but it felt to me like they were trying to play up the, oh, these people are weird and this is kind of obnoxious and annoying angle. Whereas if she's really like such a great... I don't know, maybe she's just not a great flautist uh, and she's a great mathematician, but they could have picked an actually good musician to be just doing something off in the corner there to give some delightful dinner music instead of something that was so grating. And it felt to me like a deliberate choice to show how the nut hutch really is nutty. And I didn't appreciate that on any level. (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, it was just... It's it, it's it's interesting to just see that sort of counterculture represented in Doctor Who. And that's, you know? it, it, I mean, it's nice to see them represented. I just wish they wouldn't have been treated like quite as big of a joke as they were. You know, mm. somebody's up, literally upside down and the music's really bad. Right. I they Yeah, they did sort of like, you're right. They did kind of play up their, their weirdness nature, but also like, here's what they actually did before they came to the nut hutch. You know, like I'm leading mathematician and an aircraft designer and mm-hmm. stuff like that. They're sort of like, they kind of, you know, mm-hmm. tuned in, dropped out kind of, uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Tuned in, turned on, dropped Thank out. Thank you. I can think of the uh, two mythology thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're right. Uh, but it, it also, it, it was kind of a weird, like there's just four people sitting around having dinner. But like, there's just a bunch of people like hanging around. Like, there's two people in the back, like sort of like I think she's like about to feed them or something. There's some playful little banter going on. Like, I never really watched that scene as closely as that before. It's like it, it, this feels weird. Why is everyone just hanging around while they're eating dinner? Because they're not being paid to speak. They're extras. I know that. <laughs> that's that's the doyleist mm-hmm. thing. But why are there people there? That's that that was weird to me. They should have been eating too, or maybe they did eat. Maybe there's only one table at the Nut Hutch and you got to like four at a time, you all eat and then you can hang around if you want, but we're mm-hmm. we're going to eat now too. I don't know. Well, I mean, in a communal setting like that, it makes True. sense that everybody would be around together and probably eating at the same time. It's weird to me that they have such a small table because yeah. all of the like co-op uh, houses mm-hmm. and, and places that I have been to, you know, I've been to a few, um, have had like larger communal spaces for, for eating. Um, they could have been eating off in their own little corners as well. But um, no, having all of those people around made sense. It would have been weird, I think, to have a dinner party True. that's just the few of them in in a, in a place like that. Mm-hmm. So, I you know, it, nothing about that 
read as weird to me, except for the fact that they were not participating. And that's simply because they were not paid extras. Like it's you can you can make up a headcanony Watsonian reason for it. Yeah. And that would work. You know, yeah, they're all just so weird that they're off in their own little world, man, yeah, and they're doing their own thing. Um, but really, I think that if it were a more realistic portrayal, the music would have been better. Yep. Like legitimately, because mm. often in like places like that, you get people who are really, really talented. And right. th- like most of the music that I have listened to when I've been in like hippie type places has been fantastic. Right. Like really good. Uh, also, they would have been engaging, maybe not entirely having a conversation, but, you know, throwing a quip from across the room, yeah. listening, sort of like, you know, somewhat paying attention. And I understand why they couldn't do it, but it would have felt more realistic if they could have given at least two of those people some like one line each. <laughs> I know only um, uh, Nancy is the uh, only other really speaking member of the Nuthatch, the one who comes in and says mm-hmm. the doctor's got a phone call and, mm-hmm. and later on. Yeah. Uh, so many times do we watch TV shows, usually British shows, yep. usually of a certain vintage that it's like, you're not going to speak, are you? Mm-hmm. I could tell. Or, or to be fair, Hallmark Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. I could instantly tell that, nope, that person's not going to have a line. Just the way they come in. You yep. used to do that on Babylon 5 too. That too. I did, didn't I? Yep. That's right. I did. Mm-hmm. I used to find out says nope that person's not going to speak I could tell I could tell the way they're acting I could tell the way that the camera never focused on them they're not in the focus of the sea and they're not going to mm-hmm. speak and they never do yep that's that's just the way TV works yeah and it's it's kind of a fun fascinating thing to watch for so it totally is there's uh it reminds me of a guy a total sidebar but it's also Doctor Who related there's a guy who is in a battle scene in Resurrection of the Daleks part one and uh, he just sits there and he's supposed to just nod his orders. Mm-hmm. And I've always noted that because he sort of nods and goes, okay. And he says, okay. And I always thought that was a mistake or something, just like a natural, like instinctive reaction. No, apparently, uh, Doctor Who magazine tracked him down mm-hmm. uh, many years after the fact <gasps> because that scene was sort of parodied slash homaged in It's the Sin, It's a Sin, oh. the Russell T. Davies thing. Mm-hmm. And they actually tracked him down to see it. He said, no, I was totally trying to get a higher paycheck by accidentally saying a line and uh, knowing that they probably couldn't do a retake because I accidentally said, okay. That's that's devious and Isn't brilliant. It? I love it. Isn't it brilliant? So nobody nobody in the Green Death in the dinner scene was uh, bold enough to <laughs> shout something out. <laughs> Because in the ni- in 1973, it'd be even tougher to uh, do a retake with uh, the timing that they had. So, yeah. Wow. That's, that is a great anecdote. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, well, that's that's what I do. I watch and read about Doctor Who and nothing else. Um, anything else about these maggots? You, you, uh, I did want to say that you, you were watching the scene where the Doctor uses the little... Uh, uh, Skylift thing to hop over the fence and stuff. For some reason, it reminded you of Midsummer Murders. Well, it wasn't that particular scene. It was the whole episode up until that point. Uh, and okay. I think it's just because we've been watching a lot of Midsummer Murders lately. Yeah. The one we watched last night had, what, five Doctor Who actors in it? That was nice. There were. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I think it was just the fact that it was so rural, and that is not always something that, you know, sometimes we get a very rural episode or story in Doctor Who, and sometimes yeah. it's very set based and it just takes place in rooms. This one had a decent number of outdoor shots you know the seeing the the wheels turning at mm-hmm. the top of the uh the the 
um, elevator, yep. like that kind of stuff that, you know, in Midsummer Murders, you always get like, oh, here's a canning plant for jam or something like that. Or, <laughs> you know, or storage for something like, you know, big yeah. old buildings. So it just it kind of reminded me of that. And then and then, yes, he is uh, the doctor. I, I appreciate that he was smart enough to take the little cherry picker and, and use that to get over the uh, the electrified fence. Good yep. work, doctor. Yep. I mentioned that this is uh, like a, a mini Grand Theft Auto heist or something like that, <laughs> that one person had to go off and like distract the guard and mm-hmm. the other person had to like find the, uh, the the cherry picker and do the thing and I could just see the directions just popping up at the top right hand of the screen, do this, do that, okay, over on the jump and yep. It did strike me that the doctor was referring to the map that, that Cliff gave him, yep. which... I don't know. That felt a little bit weird to me because a lot of the time the doctor is this sort of perfect intellectual creature who can just like, you know, learn a language by looking at something. Right. Um, I just to me, it was just like my in my head expectation of the doctor as a character is the kind of person who can look at a map, mm-hmm. commit it to memory and then not have to glance at it again. Whereas this time we have John Pertwee referring to that map in just about every every time we cut and he's in a different uh different spot yeah. like i would a hundred percent be like i would have that map out the entire time uh-huh. because that's the way my brain works i wouldn't be able to commit it to memory but it just seemed odd to me that for whatever reason i feel like it was because the doctor had nobody to talk to in those scenes he was literally just wandering around we needed to give him a little more business yes. to do with some yep. with, a, with the prop but i felt like that particular business i feel like that nerfed the doctor a little bit and made him look less effective than he usually is and that kind of bumped me out a little bit oh really mm-hmm. oh I, I mean i did like the little bit of business you know make it because he can stop look around boom 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 look that way you know From, i mean were it any other character, yeah, I would yeah. be all for it, but it doesn't feel doctory to me. Now, is that the map in the yard looking for the cutting equipment? Because mm-hmm. he also does it in the mine, because they draw on the map of the mine as well. Mm. So, like two times in two episodes. Listen, a man is looking at a map for directions. <laughs> Don't don't look a gift horse in the mouth. It's happening. I don't care if it's a Time Lord with two hearts that's doing it. They probably shouldn't have to do it. Accept the victory. I guess. I don't know. He's. Just, it's weird. It just feels weird. Yeah. That's all. Present company accepted. I love maps, as you know. I, know. I will always look at maps to look for directions. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, this is um, delightful. Any, any, are you? Is there? Are you? Is there? Is there? Is that it? Is that it for these two episodes here of uh, the Green Death? I just, I just want to go eat a mushroom steak now. <laughs> I know. I when I first uh, became vegetarian, they had these sort of um, portobello mushroom and some other spices in there. Anyway, they were really good, and the texture was good. They were burgers, and ground up, or was it just a cap of the mushroom? It was a. It was ground up. It wasn't just a mushroom. It was it was actually like a burger patty made of portobello Ooh, mushroom yeah. stuff. And it was really good. And maybe two or three years after I became vegetarian, they discontinued them. They didn't make them anymore. I wish I remembered the name of them so I could see what else they that company made. Um, and every time I think about this and the fungus, I think about those burgers. Because that's what kind of convinced me that, you know what, I could go vegetarian. Because wow. I got these burgers and they're really, really good. Uh, and now they don't make them anymore. And mm-hmm. so I floated in the wilderness with veggie burgers. But now I love Beyond Meat burgers mm-hmm. a lot and impossible stuff. Even though you really don't like the smell. Or the taste. Or the taste that much. You like them in tacos enough because there's enough seasoning. 
Yeah, the t- the texture is fine, and you don't really taste the flavor as much. But yeah, a big bite of it from a burger, not oh. not for me. No, speaking of portobello mushrooms, I'm going to tell my non Doctor Who <laughs> thing. When I was a vegetarian, when yeah. I was in college, uh, there was a a restaurant that was right around like right next to the movie theater that I worked in, mm-hmm. and they had like an arrangement with the movie theater to give them some change um, for for large bills, like just exchange oh, okay, it, right. and then in exchange, occasionally get some discounts on food and stuff. So they had. Really good mashed potatoes and a portobello mushroom sandwich, which was like they did burgers, but and it was portobello mushroom. It, this was just the cap oh, yeah. and I know of those. provolone cheese okay. melted on it, and like this mustard and mayo based sauce. I don't know what they had in it, but the like the the sauce that they had on there it was so good. So just every time I think of that, it just makes me happy thinking about those sandwiches because I had mm-hmm. ate a lot of them over the couple years I worked at that wow. theater. Mm-hmm. In case you're wondering, folks, uh, we're recording this just before supper time, <laughs> as opposed to our usually late evening recording time. Uh-huh. So it's probably time that we th- think yeah. about supper. Yeah, let's let's go eat. Let's go eat, and maybe eat too, everyone, if you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So until uh, next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>